Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. In Series 3, we sit down with business leaders and futurists from across the globe to discuss what emerging tech means to them, how technology impacts workplace culture, and their advice to businesses on how to stay one step ahead of the competition. In this episode, Ian Tomkinson chats to Adam Leon Smith. Adam is a specialist in software quality and emerging technologies with deep technical expertise and nearly 20 years experience. He has held senior technology roles at multinationals including Barclays and Dutch Bank, delivering large complex transformation projects. Adam is chair of the BCS Special Interest Group in Software Testing and holds officer roles with ISO, IEC, in the AI and Software and Systems Engineering Committees. Adams currently holds the position of CTO at Dragonfly, a European-based consultancy focused on testing, AI and digital transformation. Dragonfly has a focus on financial services, healthcare and retail sectors. Welcome to the show, Adam. Great to have you here. Thank you. Morning, Ian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. Very busy, but doing lots of cool stuff. So really enjoying the end of the year. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's what all the uh, it's all about is uh, looking at the cool technologies, trying to understand what's out there, um, some of the challenges that people have with the technologies. But um, again, for our uh, for our audience, we're we're looking at emerging tech innovation, and in this particular episode of ASM Connected, we're going to look at AI, how it's. Uh, changing how we work and play, but also how it can be a benefit to people, but also how do we keep it in track, basically? How do we make sure that um, there isn't any bias built into that AI? And also, how do we keep testing it to make sure it's fit for purpose moving forward? And I'm led to believe that is your uh, expertise area. So um, we'll, we'll crack on with that. I, I suppose really simple, nice, really warm up introduction You are the CTO at Dragonfly um, and specialize in AI and software systems engineering. How did you get into that? Thanks, Ian. That's a a great question. It's a bit of a weird journey. I uh, was co-opted into software testing when everyone was worried about the Y2K bug. Um, And I remember testing all the way through New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, uh, the turn of the millennium. When I got into software testing, I was aghast at the amount of manual work going on. I sort of assumed when I learned about computer science that testing was automated. And in fact, Alan Turing was envisaging automated testing in, in the 1950s and, and writing about it. But it wasn't. You know, what I saw was hugely paper-orientated, people-orientated. And um, I spent a long time developing um, test automation skills and also more technical performance stress and, and load and security testing skills. And over time, very much became a testing specialist. But as often happens in, in big organizations, as you get better at things, you go up a, a management layer and you get further away from the, the technology. So I joined Dragonfly about eight years ago now, I think, um, as Chief Technology Officer. And Dragonfly is a consultancy. And what's great about that is not only do I have you know, uh, 80 consultants who might get stuck with a technical problem, I also have scores of client organizations who will call on us to solve problems, whether they are related to DevOps, testing, AI. So you know, I've always got a queue of uh, instant messages on Slack from numerous clients and uh, consultants that, that need help and problems, interesting problems bubble up to my desk, which is great. The other thing I get to do is a lot of R&D, uh, which I, I really, really love. 
Great, yeah, no, that sounds interesting. And uh, I, I remember the Y2K uh, issues myself, and I, I remember having to uh, to complete a, a basically a, a document for, for a number of our uh, sort of large systems integrators, and uh, it was a, basically a 70-page document basically saying we checked to make sure that the uh, everyone could get to work and function, obviously, long before people could work from home. So, yeah, I, I do remember that, and uh, quite challenging at the time. And and quite a, a bit of an anticlimax, if I remember as well. <laughs> Nothing happened, but there we go. Um, but a, a lot of people would argue was because people like yourselves had tested everything and and, and checked it. So uh, exactly, <laughs> all, all good stuff. And I suppose moving on, um, you know, I, I'm kind of quite fascinated by the the world of AI and where it's going. And uh, most recently, the UK government has publicly shared that it has objectives for the UK to become a leader in AI assurance and develop a world-class ecosystem for technologies in AI. Do you think that's possible? So I do. I think the UK is really well positioned here because we have a lot of skills and, and research expertise in this space. Um, we also are very closely aligned, though it may not always seem so, with Europe, with the US, with Canada, with other countries that, that we can export AI assurance services to. The problem at the moment is there isn't much demand for AI assurance. And the supply of AI assurance typically comes from either very small consultancies with, with one person, with one particular skill set, maybe they're an AI ethicist, or um, it comes from big companies who have a sort of a target operating model for how you should manage AI systems, but that's not based on upcoming regulation. So at the moment, AI assurance is as unregulated as AI, and that's stilting demand. And that's kind of a natural part of the evolution of regulation in this space. The regulators don't know what the regulations are going to say yet. They haven't finished them. We're on a, a very much on a journey at the moment. Mm. And I suppose just... Um you know, uh, uh, sort of touching on that, and I've discussed sort of, uh, you know, in several episodes of the ASM podcast, the issues and risks that AI poses, and particularly if the bias is not captured and, and monitored. And I suppose, um, you know, talking about that sort of regulation and risk, what can software companies do to, um, or what steps can they take to sanitize their solutions, especially in sectors like healthcare, where biometric data is utilized um, to, to, to model solutions? Mm. Uh, well, let me answer that in two ways. So from a, from a policy perspective and from a technical perspective. From a policy perspective, the EU AI Act is using something called the new legislative framework, which is the same framework they use for regulating toys, uh, fire extinguishers, chairs, and it is um, very much based on presumption of conformity being established through harmonized, agreed standards. And this is true in the, in the EU and the UK, and it's true on the global stage since the 90s. Um, the, what that means is companies will have to demonstrate compliance with something like ISO IEC 42001, like they do ISO IEC 27001 for security, 42001 for AI. And that will give them the legal insurance, the presumption that they have complied with, with regulation. So that's what industry should be watching now. And that's not just AI developers, that's AI procurers as well, because there'll be significant obligations on AI procurers going forward, as well as your data scientists and, and AI developers. But from a technical point of view, talking specifically about bias, 
Uh, again, there's an ISO AC standard on that, um, TR24027, which I, I chaired and uh, drove through. And what you need to do is, first of all, you need to do a risk assessment, just like everything else, just like IT security. You need to assess your different risks and you need to have a management system in place to deal with those. Now, the sources of, of un- risk of unwanted bias at a technical perspective can be quite varied, but most commonly they relate to training data that's used to train an AI system to teach it how to do things, testing data, uh, data that's used to verify and validate that it does what it's supposed to do, um, or cognitive biases in people that then get propagated into AI systems. Because of the way it works, um, we're it's kind of ridiculous of us to think that AI will be able to strip bias out of thousands of years of human history and the data that we, we have about that. So practically, what should companies do? They should watch the upcoming standards. They should um, put in place a risk assessment process to assess the risks of bias. And they should thoroughly, thoroughly test their system to see if those risks do exist. If they find that those risks materialize, there are approaches uh, using things like oversampling and synthetic data quite technical approaches that you can use to try and mitigate those risks. And if you can't mitigate those and, and strip the bias out of the system, then you can put uh, guardrails in place to stop the system operating correctly in a situation where you know as a system owner it, it will be biased. And one important last thing on, on bias is bias is how the systems work. Without bias, an AI, and particularly machine learning system, just won't work. It needs to have different the right kind of bias. We need to be aware of what those biases are so that they can be managed. Okay, that, that's interesting. And, and uh, just, I suppose, uh, coming back to the legislation uh, part of, of that that answer, um, from my understanding, currently, that there's very little legislation that, uh, or perhaps not a lot of knowledge that there is some legis- or some standards out there around AI. Um, and I believe, as you've mentioned, the EU Commission is laying out plans to implement the Artificial Intelligence Act in 2023, 24, from what I understand. Um, and I, I suppose when I've looked at emerging tech, other types of emerging technology, when legislation comes in, sometimes that can stifle innovation in that space and progress. And are we going to be kind of, uh, are, are we going to be ready to move to compliance? You know, I, is there still a lot of AI products out there at the moment that won't meet those standards? So yes, there's loads of products that, that won't meet those standards. Um, and you know, I should also say the standards are likely to be common across the EU and the UK. We're not. There's no real difference in thinking about how we train a machine learning system just because we're European or, or British. Picking up on the phrase "regulation stifles innovation," I I would first of all throw out a couple of areas where regulation has, has driven innovation. So. Arguably, GDPR has driven a lot of the privacy engineering and privacy preserving technologies we're seeing emerging now. Arguably, regulation in the environmental space has driven innovation around things like re- renewable energy. So there are counterexamples to that. And when you drill into to that message a bit more, what you find is that a lot of the um, research that's been done around regulation, that whether regulation will stifle innovation specifically in AI, points to a list of reasons that are I, I find worrisome because they are saying, you know, we won't be able to innovate, we won't be able to take a product to market, we won't have confidence, we won't be able, people won't invest in AI because they don't know if it will be regulated correctly. And I understand some of them, I disagree with some of them. But you also have to look at who's saying it. Typically, you see large uh, hyperscalers saying it, you see entrepreneurs and lobbyists. 
rather than technologists. I went to Lisbon Web Summit and I it was huge. There were 70,000 people there. And I talked to about 100 AI startups in the EU that would be subject to the new regulations there. In 2025, by the way, it takes, takes force, so there's a little time. And every single AI startup told me they welcomed the regulation, but what was stifling their innovation was actually regulatory uncertainty, not the lack of the regulation. It's not knowing what's going to happen. It's not knowing what standards they need to, to comply with and, and things, like, things like that. Um, and I think if we look at, say, um, GDPR, which was very much an enforcement-based legislation, it has some, has some principles in, and you know we're still you know, several years later learning what they really mean in court cases. And that has favoured companies with large legal budgets because they're able to take more risk, okay? And that's, that's why, to be honest, a lot of the, the fines also focus on, on big companies. Now, this is going to be quite different because there will be this presumption of conformity that I'm, I'm talking about that AI procurers and, and developers can, can use and, and can apply. So we, more of a certification and conformity assessment process before you take something to market. But it won't be everybody. You know, when we, when we talk about regulation stifling innovation, you really dig into it. You're talking about whether the precautionary principle should be applied to AI development. Should, in an area where we have a lack of scientific and a, a applied scientific knowledge, should we allow things to happen that could cause harm? And ultimately, the compromise on this is we take a risk-based approach at multiple levels. The EU has a risk, a list of things that are high risk, a list of things that are just banned, a list of things that are fine. And if you're, if you're in the fine, not risky list, you don't have to do much. If you're in the high risk, you have to do quite a lot. And you, know, you, you probably have to get somebody to audit you before you even put your product on the market. The UK is taking a different approach where it's being more, it's allowing different regulators in different areas to specify and, and be flexible about their approach. But hopefully it will all be aligned to the same set of standards. So everyone will be using the same language and the, the same processes. Uh, yeah, and I suppose where where that question came from, and uh, early in our early series of the podcast, um, I uh, interviewed a guy called Brett Fanouf, who um, was involved with IBM um, and the world's first fully autonomous boat uh, called the Mayflower to cross the Atlantic. And one of the challenges that they had was um, they wanted to test the boat in the sea. And um, to do that, they needed to get a, a, a license for the boat to say that it was seaworthy. Um, but they hit the problem was because they said, well, who's going to be the captain? And they're like, there is no captain. It's AI and uh, machine learning. And they went, ah, okay, we can't give you a license because there's no pilot. There's no pilot. So they're the kind of things that I think in terms of that will probably slow the progress down is that sometimes the legislation isn't ready for the technologies. And, and we're already seeing those conversations with autonomous vehicles, aren't we? You know, yes. it, it, who's going to be responsible if something goes wrong? <laughs> and, you know, it looks like autonomous vehicles are about to go back another decade, I think. Um, but yeah. but you know, that's a great example because an autonomous ship is that hasn't been appropriately checked and verified sounds quite dangerous to me, running amok in the ocean. You know, so if regulation, if nobody's considered autonomous ships before, and the processes aren't there to establish that they work, then yeah, you shouldn't really be allowed to get a, a seaworthy license, right? Yep, absolutely. And I suppose that, that leads me to as well is, you know, obviously testing that AI is relatively important, but is it really difficult to 
to do that? Testing it is really important. And again, talking about the AI Act, that talks more about the technical quality management systems than any other topic. Um, testing is in some ways the same with AI systems, and in some ways it's different. I think one of the ways it's different is that it can be get it can be difficult for people to agree how well it has to work. Because sometimes people provide requirements for AI systems and they're anthropomorphizing. It's a chatbot. We want it to be like a human. What does that mean? How do I design tests to prove whether this is like a, a human or not? So that can be quite difficult. When you get down to the um, the results, you know, you're not going to see 100% success with AI systems. You see some degree of success. You're aiming for sort of, you know, something in the 90s. And getting people to agree what's good enough, especially if there are risks there are risks to life or risks um, to people and their access to services and their, 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 their freedoms. Now, when you get down to the, the functional testing of AI systems, you tend to be looking at statistical results. You measure the testing of a conventional system by have I covered all the code? Have I used all the features? Have I explored all the features based on their specification and structure? You test AI systems based on their data. So it gets a lot more statistical and you need a bit more stats knowledge and, and things like that. So there's, there's a range of challenges and there's a range of solutions and specific testing techniques that we can apply in certain situations. Okay. okay. And, and I suppose uh, just a quick thing is with AI, everyone thinks that, you know, it, it's going to provide us uh, answers to things that we, we don't already know or, or provide solutions to things. But if we don't know the answer to a problem, how can we test if our AI has got it right? Mm. Well, there's, there's a few techniques. So, for instance, if I'm building something that's going to recommend to you which news article you're going to find more interesting, you know, I'm going to push to your phone a notification. I think, Ian, you're going to be really interested in this article. How do I test that at scale? How do I know what people want to read? Right. So one of the techniques we can apply there is something called A-B testing where we test across two different groups, slightly different variants of the system, and try and identify the difference. There's other techniques. Um, there's one called metamorphic testing, which is about establishing relationships between inputs and outputs and focusing on how the inputs and outputs change each other rather than you know testing against a really, really well-defined requirement. So there, there are techniques out there to try and deal with that sort of thing. But ultimately, if you're building a system to work out which planet has aliens on, um, you're not going to know if it's right till you get there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and also just on on that, you you mentioned uh, uh, before, uh, uh, I suppose chatbots, and uh, you know I, I've sort of uh, spent some time working with a couple of our vendors on, on natural language, uh, and also looking at chatbots and all various things over over the last sort of uh, eighteen months, couple of years, and they're becoming more and more accepted technologies for, from what what I see, and many of them which are starting to use A and Obviously, language in any format is extremely complex. And uh, you know, the, the example I was given was that, uh, you know, simple thing, you know, if you're talking to a chatbot and you're saying, I want to book the uh, Hilton in Paris, or um, can you make me an appointment to meet Paris Hilton? Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're the same words effectively, but they have completely different context and, and meanings. and can testing these applications by feeding more into that, can that sometimes even confuse the technology? Yes, especially if you're testing um, against cloud systems that are implementing AI and you're sort of uh, consuming something from Amazon or, or Microsoft. You know, I've had instances where regression testing the system 
on a daily basis has influenced the system to adapt itself and pass more for my tests, but to degrade for things that users are actually saying to the chatbot, which was an interesting interesting testing problem. Um, the I, I think though, I think natural language, whilst it's great in business applications like booking a room in the Hilton in Paris, you know, I think it is a bit of a dead end in terms of AI. I don't think these natural language models are going to be able to progress the way people th- are thinking they are. Um, I think the evolution between the different versions of GPT has actually seen some pretty hacky solutions injected to remove things from uh, things like unwanted bias by using scripts to look for the word black and things like that. And I think one of the dangers of it is people anthropomorphize it beyond natural language processing. It does not understand the world. It does not understand your question. It is making statistical inferences based on some words it's seen. And whilst the impressive stuff um, that, say, ChatGPT is doing is posted a lot on social media, you also see a lot of the mistakes it's making. One of the things we're doing at the moment internally is making lists of common defects to look for when you're testing language models. So, for instance, they often have problems with negation. So saying something isn't true versus versus it's true and detecting the, the difference um, in that. So we're trying to come up with a list of common bugs that we can we can give to clients to help them do their testing. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, that, that natural language is, is fascinating. And I've seen some great applications from that through, um, through uh, you know, I suppose, helping uh, the security services uh, detect the tone of voice out there um, through to... Um, to uh, helping out uh, monitoring uh, prison calls for for violence and and, and uh, those kind of issues, um, instead of somebody having to listen on each call, they can just hook it up to a a, a solution, and uh, it, it, it's absolutely fantastic uh, live transcript, but also can flag it and, and actually understand the tone of voice, even though there is slang and all sorts of language in there that probably you and I wouldn't use on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, fascinating technology that is. And uh, let's see, see where that goes. But another one, again, we touched on earlier, um, autonomous vehicles and, and uh, smart cities uh, have been cited to maximize AI coupled with the IoT and real-time data um, to make them safer, cleaner, greener. Um, in, in your opinion, is the technology good enough? If not, when do you think it will be? I don't think it is good enough to autonomously drive uh, outside of certain situations. So let's say you've got a warehouse and you're driving a forklift truck around the warehouse, right, to move things around. I, I think, you know, we can do that now. That, that's not so much a problem. Um, I think the once, once you go out into the real world, though, there is so many different things that can happen and so many things that the sensors have to try and process that it doesn't know about that it being able to do that safely and reliably on its own is a is still quite a long way away and just like the example you just gave where natural language is being used by the security services in that context you can deal with some false positives right because you have a significant reason to do it you know you really want to spot those calls you can afford it if there's a few fold positives and you can put processes in place to make sure that doesn't actually impact people when it was a dog barking in the background not a not a a violent situation similarly with autonomous vehicles we put um we 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 call them semi-autonomous or you know um, driver assistance and things like that and being able to take that driver away from paying attention you know we're quite 
we're quite far away from from being there, I think, at the moment. Smart cities, though, you know, and, and IoT, these are all technologies that will help us get there. And there's some really cool techniques that have been um, worked on for the past few years around rather than trying to train autonomous vehicles on the whole world, let's use AI to generate data about all possible worlds and then train it on that. Um, and that, that's quite an interesting approach that might see the next step of the evolution. But it's really the synergies between these different things. Smart cities can tell autonomous cars where they are. IoT devices can link into smart cars and provide additional data points. So just like we saw the internet and cloud um, and the amount of data in the world come together to make AI possible, I think we're now seeing these other, field, other fields that are related to AI linking in with AI and starting to increase the, the progress of innovation. Yeah, no, and hopefully at some point they'll be able to prevent traffic jams. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the key thing, particularly when it comes to uh, heading into into the cities. And, and I suppose just to sort of add on to that, um, you know, if you know any of these technologies, be it smart city, be it uh, autonomous vehicles, um, could AI be tricked into making decisions that are potentially damaging, criminal, unethical, or, or you know, uh, causing us problems? Yes. Um, so. I mean, absolutely. There are there are security risks with AI uh, in the way it's architected, and there are security risks with AI in that you can trick it. Um, you know, it's facial recognition. I can show a facial recognition alg- algorithm a picture of me and a picture of Tony Blair. Tell it it's the same, and it will believe me if I do certain things. Um, so there are ways to to do that, but also you don't need to do that for an AI system to behave unsafely or unethically. Um, I think the security issues, whilst relatively unique, it's the same approaches that you use to mitigate against classic vulnerabilities that would, you would use to mitigate against those. Okay, great. And, uh, and and when looking at implementing AI to provide a solution, what qualities should the customer consider as a priority? Transparency. So do you understand it? Do the users understand it? Is someone able to see why did that system do that thing? Because the customer didn't like that or the user didn't like that. Why did it do it? And that sometimes gets into technical topics like explainability and interpretability. Testability, how easy can you test it and how easily can you test it thoroughly? The correctness of the system, of course, uh, the degree to which it can adapt itself. Is it something that is a static model or is it retraining itself every every hour? Uh, And that gets really interesting when you're regression testing because you kind of... assume a system will keep passing its regression tests unless you change it. But say if the system changes itself, how do you maintain all those tests as the, the system changes? Um, and last, last but certainly not least is mitigating risks to, to society, depending on where you sit on the, on the risk scale. Okay. Uh, and that's the key thing, isn't it? So there's, there's still a lot of, uh, of nervousness out there, predominantly with probably non-technical people that AI is going to cause all sorts of problems and it's just not trusted at the moment and i do think that um, there is an element to that but i do think we, we've uh, uh, organizations such as uh, dragonfly uh, are gonna uh, i suppose help us to understand and also put those uh, those steps in place to, to make sure that ai uh, can be brought to the table as a, as a positive technology it can help influence tech for good which i'm really kind of quite passionate about as well and uh, but also that those risks are mitigated as much as possible and uh, looking at those new standards coming out it looks like we're going to be in a better place um in a, in a few years time and uh, can't wait to see how it evolves 
Yeah, Dragonfly, we're working with governments and regulators across uh, US, UK and, and Europe, and we're working on the technical detail that you'll have to implement um, once the standards are released. And the first one will be out uh, during 2023, the first that describes the overall management system. And then all the way up to 2025, there'll be more and more and more going into specific topics like bias or explainability. Great, great. No, and and uh, obviously just conscious of time, so thank you very much for for for, for that. Just a couple of uh, before we head off, a couple of quick fire questions, which always had just as a, a bit of fun at the end, and uh, just to sort of wind down. And um, so we touched on smart cities. Are you a smart city fan, or would you prefer a country hideaway? I like to spend half the year in the city and half the year in the country. Right. Okay. Great. And what's your favourite tech gadget? I'm glad you asked that. Uh, my Onyx Books. Note Air 2 has now replaced my laptop for about 25% of the time of my working day, which I never thought was possible for an e-writer. Right, okay. That's, um, I'm going to have to look that up because I've never <laughs> heard of that, I'll be completely honest. Um, so I'm going to have a look at that now and find out um, yeah, if, um, if that could be a benefit uh, to myself because I do like tech gadgets. So yeah, that <laughs> sounds sound great. So thank you very much. But thanks for that overview today. Um, really much appreciated. Thanks for taking the time out. Um, to talk to us about AI, particularly the testing element, uh, and I suppose uh, how we can mitigate risk moving forward. Great to have you on the episode, um, and uh, wish you all the best. Thanks, Ian. Great to chat. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of ASM Connected with Adam Leon Smith. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now to make sure you never miss an update. And check out other episodes in the series. To find out more about the team at ASM Technologies, visit asmtech.com. This is ASM Connected.